Good afternoon, everyone. We have two readings today. The first reading comes from John chapter 10, starting from verse 7. John chapter 10, starting from verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The second reading comes from Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, starting from verse 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. At the very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. 
O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, Happy New Year, if I haven't seen you since the New Year. Uh, My name is Ben. I'm the senior pastor of the church, uh, along with uh, Steve, who is still on leave today, actually. He's back to work tomorrow. Uh, As many of you know, um, we came back from Sydney a couple of weeks ago, and we happened to need to be in quarantine, so it was great to be able to get out on on New Year's Day. Uh, It certainly was a celebration for us. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Marilyn for reading the Bible and uh, welcome them back as the newly married couple. Uh, Her and Cam got married a couple of weeks ago now, is it two weeks? Roughly there. And it feels like a lifetime, doesn't it? Uh, So congratulations on on the wedding uh, and um, welcome back. Um, We are continuing on our series in Luke's Gospel, which we began about three months ago. Uh, So if you are new to our church and there's a few faces I don't recognize, uh, you can uh, go back and have a listen if you want to, um, because we're continuing on the series until the end of January. Uh, and then in the new year, we'll be beginning a new series uh, on Revelation, the book of Revelation. We'll be working through the entire book over four blocks through the year. We'll also be covering the book of Job as well as Ezekiel. So we're having a pretty light teaching year this year. Uh, just, just kidding. Uh, so it's going to be a pretty full-on year, uh, so I do look forward to hearing from God's Word. And if you are new to us today, a uh, warm welcome to you, and I'd love to meet you afterwards uh, and say hello. Um, please keep your Bibles open to uh, Luke chapter 13. We'll be working through the passage that Marilyn read out to us before. Uh, and as Randy mentioned before, you can download the uh, outline of the sermon if it helps for you to follow along or to take notes. And that is uh, at our website, sle.church live, and you'll get a link to the PDF if you're interested. Uh, but the most important thing we can do now is to pray and ask that God would speak to us. Uh, it is a strong word from God today. And we really need for his spirit to help us to hear, understand, and respond. So please join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we enter into a new year, perhaps with some fear and uncertainty, uh, that we ask you to remind us and to impress upon us that you are sovereign and in control and that you're good. Uh, And in the scheme of things, as we look to the day-to-day of the past few weeks and months, It may give us cause to doubt that you are in control and that you're good, but we pray that you'll give us eyes to see the bigger picture, that your purposes and plans for all eternity, uh, past, present, and to come, uh, will always come to pass. Please give us eyes to see what lies beyond this life and what is the best decision we can make now, which is to follow Jesus, trust in him, and so have that security, not just now, but forever. We pray now as we think about the topic of salvation again. Most importance, please give us ears to hear, give us hearts softened by your spirit to receive your word. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we begin uh, 2021, this is uh, three days in now, uh, no doubt uh, big questions weigh on your mind. Now, many of you here in this room are young, uh, but perhaps you've already seen that life is quite messed up, and perhaps you do have big questions uh, that are more mature than what your age might be. There are others of us who are a bit older, and there have always been big questions that are on our mind. Now, it is uh, a a fair thing to say that we we are wondering what 2020 
2021 will be like, isn't it? What will it hold for us? Uh, perhaps questions around COVID-19 uh, has dominated you know, your, your life uh, in the lead up to, to this new year. And certainly for us as a family, being quarantined for 14 days because of a new hotspot in Sydney, it's certainly been something that has been brought back up to the surface again. And we have it good in Brisbane and in Queensland, and perhaps it's uh, fallen off the radar a little bit. But the events of Sydney and Melbourne, and perhaps if you've got family and friends in the UK, has certainly brought those questions back up again, isn't it? Who knows how, how much more we'll have to endure of this pandemic? Uh, what, will, uh, what will COVID look like this year? And we enter the second year, isn't it? COVID-19 began at the end of 2019, and we're, so we're definitely in the second year of this pandemic now. Uh, uh, will these vaccines that are coming out work? Will they work in time for me and my family and my friends? Will there be more spikes? Will there be mutations? What will life look like in the coming days and weeks and months? What will it look like in terms of, of uh, my, my, my studies? Right? Will, will uni, will school be cancelled again? What will it look like for my work and my employment? What will it look like for the economy? For many of us here, we're international students or have overseas family. Will we be able to go home? Will we be able to travel? Right? Lots of big questions. But I want to say this morning, as we begin 2021, that the biggest questions, the most important questions of life go beyond the topic of COVID-19 and beyond the affairs of day-to-day life in the present. As pressing and as important and as distressing as they might be, there is something much more important. There's a much more important question that we need answers to. And that is the question of salvation, right? matters of salvation. Now, our passage today from Luke 13 uh, raises the question, doesn't it, in verse 23, will those who are saved be few? Right? Will they, those who are saved be few? Now, it's a topic uh, that has been raised before in Luke's gospel, just a few chapters back, right? In chapter 10, verse 25, a man comes up to, G- to Jesus and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit right, eternal life? And later on, a few chapters after this chapter in 13, uh, the disciples will ask Jesus, Right. Who can be saved? Who can be saved? Salvation, eternal life, life in God's eternal kingdom. Right? This topic and the questions surrounding it are the most important to know and have answers about. You see, questions about salvation become even more important, even more paramount, the more we realize that this life is not all that there is. When we take a moment and consider what life is like, we have a feeling, isn't it? This life is not all that there is. And as we hear God speak to us from His Word, we realize that this life is not all that there is. There is an eternal life that is to come. And then we learn that in eternity, there is the kingdom of God in which you're either in the kingdom or you're out of the kingdom. To be in the kingdom requires salvation. And so then salvation, the question, the topic of salvation, then becomes the most important question to answer in this life because it impacts all of eternity. Now, from the perspective of eternity then, what happened in 2020, and a lot happened in 2020, and what will happen in 2021 and beyond, in a sense, matters very little. Questions about COVID, our studies, our work, our economy, even our relationships, even very important human relationships, they are all very important questions, that's for sure, And it would be great to have answers to these questions to make life more livable. But the most important question in the perspective of eternity 
What truly matters, what ultimately matters, is that we are safe and secure with God in His eternal kingdom. That we are saved. And so on this first Sunday of 2021, let's give our attention to this topic of salvation, this eternity-defining issue. Now, as we dive into our passage today, we're given a reminder of the setting, right? In chapter 13, verse 22, we are reminded that Jesus is on a journey towards Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is like the, the capital city of Israel, the epicenter of God's people. And he's been telling us all this way that he's going to Jerusalem in order uh, to suffer uh, under the hands of Jewish leaders and, and Jewish people and be killed. And why will he be doing that? It's so that he can secure salvation and the forgiveness of sins. That's what his mission is when he came to earth, to go to Jerusalem, to die on a cross, to secure salvation for sinners. And so he's continued this journey towards Jerusalem, and he's been teaching a great many things, as we've been hearing over the past couple of months. Now, in response to Jesus' teachings, uh, here in verse 23, an unnamed man from the crowd, he pipes up and he asks Jesus, will those who are saved be few? Now, if you've been following along uh, over the last few months as we've been reading and preaching through Luke's gospel, you'd know that Jesus had been preaching a lot about the kingdom of God and about himself as the king of that kingdom. Through his powerful authoritative teaching and through his signs and wonders, he's been demonstrating that the kingdom of God has come and that he's the king of that kingdom. And all the way through, he's been saying, because I'm the king, then you ought to follow me. And it's been make, giving a very strong teaching, isn't it? That if you, are, you want to live, you have to, take a, you have to deny yourself, you take up your cross, and, and follow me. If you want to live, you have to sit at my feet and listen to my words as the word of life. You have to give up your life and let it belong to me so that I can save you. And as we heard last week, you have to live a life of ongoing daily repentance, right? As you keep responding to God's word, to Jesus' word. I'm not sure about how you felt over the last few months, but I know how I felt as I've preached it. It sounds very hard. It seems very daunting, isn't it, to be able to follow Jesus in this kind of way. And perhaps this is what prompted the man who'd been listening to all this teaching to ask the question, will those who are saved be few? Right? It sounds so hard to enter the kingdom of God, to, to believe in Jesus, to follow him. Will those who are saved be few? Now Jesus if you notice, doesn't directly answer the man's question, does he? He never really ever gives a straight answer, Jesus, does he? He doesn't say yes, he doesn't say no, he doesn't give a number. Instead, Jesus gives a command. By speaking to the man, by addressing the crowds, Jesus says, strive to enter, strive to enter. Now, and depending on the listener, a command like this is either a warning or an encouragement, isn't it? It's a warning Strive to enter because you're not in. That's a warning, isn't it? Strive to enter because you're not in. But it could also be an encouragement. Strive to enter as you've been doing. Right? Keep striving. Now in this passage, it's clearly a warning, isn't it? Jesus has in mind people who think, who assume that they're in the kingdom when in fact they are not in the kingdom. More important than knowing how many will be saved, some random question that a person asks, Jesus says it's more important to make sure that you are in the kingdom. Right? Jesus urges the man and the listening crowds to strive, to make every effort, to do everything they possibly can do to make sure they're in the kingdom. Now, why is that? 
Why have to put in so much effort, right? Why do you have to strive so hard? Well, Jesus explains. The first point is because the entry to the kingdom of God is through a narrow door, isn't it? It's through a narrow door. Many will seek to enter, but will not be able to. Many will think that it's easy to enter. Many will think that there are many ways to enter into God's kingdom. Isn't that what many in our world believe? Perhaps this might be what you believe this, this afternoon. Right? Maybe you believe, like the world does, that all religions are basically the same. Right? There are many ways to God. It's all the same thing. All paths that lead to God. And maybe you might think, or people would say, I, I believe in a God of love and acceptance. Of course, he will accept me into his kingdom. I can come as I am and God will receive me. Right? We think, I'm religious, I'm spiritual, I'm a good person, so I'm okay. But Jesus says the entry into God's kingdom is narrow, not broad. There are not many paths, many ways, just one. There's a very specific and very limited entry requirement. That's what Jesus says. And maybe we're asking, why, right? Why is it so narrow? Why is not room for absolutely everyone and anyone to come in? Why is God so picky and so stingy? Why does God have to make the way so difficult and so narrow? Is he just being so stingy, he does not let people into his kingdom? Well, it's narrow. Why is it narrow? It's narrow because Jesus is the only way. Right? Jesus is actually God's generous and God's gracious provision for entry into his kingdom. And God, all through the Bible, is calling and willing for everyone to respond and to come in through Jesus. You see, it's narrow because if you reject Jesus, there is no other way in. So strive to enter through Jesus. And we hear this, uh, we, we need to understand this point very, very clearly. Otherwise, we're never going to get wide and the door is narrow, right? Now, in John chapter 10, which you heard Marilyn read before, we're told that Jesus is the, the, the door, isn't it? the only door that leads into God's kingdom. A few later, chapters later in John's gospel, John 14, famous verses, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, why is it that Jesus is the only way to God? Why is it that there's no other way, no other religion, no other spirituality that leads to God? It's because of the understanding of, of, of who we are before God. But the Bible is clear that we are not our own people, that we do not belong to ourselves because we have a creator. Right? We are created by God to belong to God, to love and worship God. But then humanity as a whole, every single person has turned their backs on God. It's called sin. And the Bible says that we need salvation from sin. And sin is, is basically rejecting God as our creator, isn't it? Our ruler is, is, is to treat God uh, in a way that he doesn't deserve to be treated. Without honor, without thanksgiving, without obedience, without love. Basically, we're going against everything that God created for us to be. We were never created to live without God, yet we did exactly that. We have all turned our backs on God in so many big and small ways. And so the Bible is clear that there is no one without sin, because there's no one who has not turned their backs on God in some way, shape, or form, usually in many ways, many shapes, and many forms. And the Bible says that the result, the consequence, the punishment for sin, 
the result of rejecting our life giver is to face death. Right? It's a just punishment. If we reject our life giver, he rejects us and he, and he takes away the life that he's given to us. It means separation from God. It means eternal separation and outside of his kingdom. And the Bible tells us that there's no way that we can atone for our own sins. The Bible gives a very, very helpful description that sinners are pretty much dead. They're corpses. And dead people cannot save themselves. We need God to save us, which is what he does. Into our hopeless, tragic mess, God sent Jesus, his one and only son, into this world. God came, as we just celebrated a week ago, as a man, taking on human flesh, living a perfect life in order to be our perfect substitute and sacrifice, the righteous man for all of us unrighteous people. Right, Jesus is the only person who can take our sins for us because he is perfect. He's the only one who can save. He is the only way back to God. He is the door. He's the only one. You see, the door is narrow, not because God is stingy or unwilling for people to enter. The door is narrow because Jesus is the only way. And yet it is the gracious, generous way, gift of God, for people to be able to enter through Jesus. And so you can understand, right? If you reject Jesus, then there's no other way in. So Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive to enter through me. Now, not only is the door narrow, the door won't always remain open. That's what he says next, isn't it? Jesus gives a, a mini parable here. The master of the house well, will get up at a certain time and he will shut the door and shut it will remain. It will be shut tight. It's the picture that's given here. Now, I'm not sure. Have you ever experienced standing in front of a shut door because you were too late? Have you ever experienced that? Maybe you're a uni student, right? You knew the day, you knew the time, you knew the location for your exam, but you turned up a few minutes late and boom, right? Sub time, here we come, right? Because you can't go in the exam hall anymore. Or maybe like me, uh, you missed uh, the timing, right, to get in through the check-in counter at the airport. I think Zoe was a baby back then, so we had three young kids, and we were in Sydney, right, uh, trying to get to the airport, and we just didn't realize how much time it takes right, to pack up all the stuff, pack up the car, and then Sydney traffic, it really sucks, right? airport traffic, it really sucks, and then we missed our plane. The gates were closed. No experience being locked out before? But you see, being locked out like this, it feels terrible for a little while. Sub paper, a couple of weeks later, you do it again, you get your seven. Actually, you, you, I'm not sure you can get a seven or something. Whatever it is. For us, we missed the plane, but there was another plane two hours later. And we got home, a bit more tired maybe, but we still got home. But you see, for the kingdom of God, once it's shut, it's shut. Once it's shut, it's shut. And so Jesus says, strive to enter before it's too late. Did you know there's a date in the calendar? You, you pull out your phone, you pull out Google, Google calendars or whatever eye calendar or your physical calendar if you're still old school. There is a specific date and time where Jesus will return, where he will shut the doors of the kingdom after having gathered everyone who's his in. That day could be tomorrow, the 4th of January, 2021. It could be maybe 8, 11 a.m. tomorrow morning. Maybe while you're still lazy in bed, checking through your Facebook or watching YouTube. It could be while you're having breakfast, getting ready to go to work. Or maybe you're already in the bus. 
Or maybe you're in the car on the way to the Gold Coast, right? Enjoy another week of holidays. It could be at that very moment where this life ends and a new one begins and you may be outside of the kingdom of God. It could be two weeks' time. It could be three months' time in the middle of the night while you're sleeping. It could be sometime, but whatever it is, whenever it is, there is a definite moment in time, a moment in the calendar where the kingdom of God will be shut. And those who are on the outside will have absolutely no way, no chance, no hope of getting in. We don't know when that will be, but it will definitely come. And so Jesus says, strive to enter the narrow door before it is too late. Because if you don't enter in time, you will be locked out. Jesus speaks of a man knocking on the door, right? Anxiously knocking, furiously knocking, maybe continuously knocking, but it never opens. He's refused entry into the master's house. Now, why, why is he refused entry? Well, for one, as we've seen, he's too late. But there's another reason that Jesus gives here in verse 25. The master says to the man, verse 25, I do not know where you come from. I do not know where you come from. It's basically saying, I don't know who you are. Right? I don't know your origin. I don't know who you belong to. You certainly don't belong to me as my, as my servant. You certainly don't belong to my household or my family because you're on the outside. I don't know where you're from. I don't know who you are. I don't know who you belong to. And these people who are knocking on the outside will defend themselves, but they'll justify themselves. And they'll say, what, what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean, Master, that you don't know us? You ate and drank in your presence, they will say. You taught in our streets. Like we heard you walking around, teaching. Now, clearly, Jesus is referring to the Jewish crowds and to the Jewish leaders here, isn't he? Right? If you look around in Luke, you read before and you read after this passage, for a long period now, Jesus had been traveling through all these Jewish towns and cities in Galilee on his way to Jerusalem. And all these Jewish crowds had associated with Jesus, right? They had been around Jesus. They had been uh, following him around, associated, but they had not shown any allegiance or any loyalty to Jesus. They, they had contact with Jesus. They even shared meals with Jesus. The very next passage after this one, Jesus is dining with the Pharisees in their homes. He's eating food, having drinks with them. Contact, but there is no commitment to follow Jesus. These people, they, they gathered and came close, but they did not come in to the house. Well, there were people who had heard him teach, perhaps they even learned a great deal as they followed around Jesus. But there was no real response of repentance. They never truly sat at Jesus' feet like Mary did, receiving his word with faith and responding with trust and with repentance. For if they had shown allegiance, if they had made a commitment, if they had heard and responded to the master, well, they would already have been in the house, wouldn't they? They would already be under the master's care. They would already be serving under the master's service. But these people did not. They're on the outside. They only had association. They only had contact. They only had hearing that resulted in nothing. And so they were outside and shut out. Now the Jewish crowds listening to this would have been shocked by what they heard. Because of all the people of the world, they were God's chosen people. They had assumed that their place in God's kingdom was secure. 
Now, this description of the Jewish crowd, I think, is as relevant to us today as it was to the original Jewish hearers of the time. You see, every single one of us, right here, right now, in this service, listening in on the live stream, right, have had association with Jesus just by the fact that you came today. You heard or you sang some songs about Jesus. You heard the Bible reading. You're hearing this sermon. We've all had contact, and I'm sure this is not your first time having some association or some contact with Jesus. Some of us have attended church more than just the one time, many times perhaps over the years. Maybe we've grown up in a Christian home. Right? We, we've gone to Christian schools. Uh, we've read Christian books. We've attended a, a, a Christianity Explained course, Bible studies. We've had Christian friends and Christian conversations for most of our lives. We've all been exposed to God's word and teaching. We've read and studied the Bible. Some of us even memorized right, big chunks of it. We can recite the creeds, right? the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, even the Athanasian Creed, because you're that good, right? You, you can say the Lord's Prayer in your sleep. You've been to training courses. You'll be going to the leaders' retreat next weekend. You've read books, countless of books and blogs. But the question is, is this just mere association and not true allegiance? Is this just contact, mere contact, or is there wholehearted commitment and conviction? Is it just hearing in one ear, out the other, in one ear, just staying in the brain, or is there a true heartfelt trust and response to your Lord, Jesus Christ? Does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you? Is Jesus your king and master? Is, are you in the master's house right now? Will you be in the kingdom of God that is to come? If there is true allegiance and commitment, faith and repentance, then the answer is yes. There's an assurance, isn't it? That yes, we are there. We're inside and we will not be shut out. But if you're not sure or you know for sure that you're not following Jesus in this way, then Jesus says you're outside of his kingdom. And the, verse, the words of verse 27 should, should hit us square in the face with a huge shock. Verse 27, but, but he will say, but the master will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Workers of evil, that's such a strong condemnation, isn't it? But if Jesus truly is God's king and God's son, and then you associate with him, and you come into contact with him, but you don't show allegiance and you don't make a commitment, you don't actually trust him as God's king, as God's son, then aren't you a sinner? For isn't the definition of sin to reject God and to live life apart from him? To reject Jesus is to be a worker of evil, to be a sinner. It's to continue that lifelong rejection of the God who made us. It is now a rejection of the God who came to save us and bring us into his kingdom. Jesus' words, right? I do not know you. Depart from me. Perhaps these words uh, might not come as a surprise to you because you know you've definitely not come to Christ yet. But I think when you do hear those words for real on Judgment Day, it will come as a shock. Don't leave it too late to respond. On this first Sunday of 2021, why not respond to the God who made you by trusting in His Son, your King and Saviour? Jesus' words, I do not know you, depart from me. These words of Jesus might come as a complete shock and a complete surprise to those of us who think that we are Christians, but in fact we are not. 
And Jesus is saying, don't leave it too late to respond. Strive to enter. Put your so-called Christian faith under the microscope and make sure that your faith is a genuine faith. That you haven't just turned up to church all your life and just associated and had contact with Jesus. Make sure that your faith is one of true allegiance and true commitment, true response of faith and repentance. Make every effort to enter the kingdom of God. Because the consequence of being on the outside should shock us into action. And this is the fourth point that Jesus makes. Outside of the kingdom is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I think it's a pretty familiar saying, right? Many of us know this phrasing, like a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Perhaps you've heard, you know, a doom and gloom kind of preaching, and you've heard, you know, this kind of threat, right? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. But I wonder whether we've ever really thought hard about what this means and what this might feel like to, to weep and to gnash your teeth. What is this experience of, of deep sadness, right? of, of heart-wrenching regret, of unbearable frustration? That's what this kind of image gives us, isn't it? Now, in, in this regard, I think to imagine a worst-case scenario, we need to think about the experiences that are similar that we experience now. I, I'm sure many of us have experienced some kind of deep sadness and regret before, haven't we? I know there are young people here, so maybe that's not true for you yet but perhaps it is true for you already, right? Perhaps you, you've had great opportunities that you spurned, right? Maybe you've had cherished possessions that you managed to lose or break. Or maybe you've had loved ones who've been taken away either by death or by some kind of evil and some kind of sin that has torn and broken relationships apart. And, and you know a sense of what sadness and regret and frustration feels like. Now, I'm certain that the sadness and regret for those who we left out of the kingdom of God will be infinitely greater than any sadness and regret and frustration that we've ever felt. There on the outside, you will knock and you will knock and you will knock and your knuckles might bleed and your bones might break, but the door will remain firmly shut in your face. You were standing knocking, knowing that you had the chance, you had the opportunity, but you spurned it. If only in that time, in that sermon on, on January the 3rd, 2021, if at a time when I spoke to my family and I spoke to my friends, when I heard my, my parents try and convince me to trust in Jesus, when I heard my, my husband or my wife or my children uh, encourage me to trust in Jesus, I, I just said, not for me, thanks. In that very moment, the, the sadness and the regret and the frustration will be massive. When you realize that inside those doors is your creator, your God, your savior, your king, the author of your life, the giver of all good things. But you can't access that. When you realize that none of that will be yours to enjoy or to have for all of eternity, life on the outside will be so unbearably sad and frustrating. I don't know, I think I would not wish this on my worst enemy to have to experience that. Jesus says the door is narrow and there will be a time where it will be shut and it will be shut tight and that life on the outside will be too unbearable to even consider 
And he tells us that because he loves us, because he wants to pour his grace out on us to receive his message, to receive him before it is too late. So the big question as we begin this new year is, will you strive to be among the saved? Is there a more important question in this life and eternity? Will you strive to be among the saved? By God's grace, Jesus leaves us in no doubt as to who will be excluded and who will be included. So let's wrap up by making sure we understand. Who are the excluded? The excluded are those who oppose Jesus violently, like Herod does. Right? As we read in this passage in verse 30, he's trying to seek to kill Jesus. The Jewish leaders, they too, are, are, are very violently opposed to Jesus. There are people like that, yes. They're excluded. But the excluded are also those who have association with Jesus. Right? They have contact with Jesus, maybe for even a long time. But they're people who never truly respond to Jesus with true allegiance and true commitment. The excluded are people who think that by virtue of being first, right, verse 29 tells us that, right, the first will be last. The first here are clearly the Jews, because they were the first chosen people of God. They had the privilege of knowing God first, but they spurned it. They rejected Jesus. The first will be last. They, they think that by virtue of their heritage, they'll be able to get into the kingdom of God just because they, they grew up right, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a Jewish home. You see, when Jesus came to gather them into his kingdom as a hen gathers uh, her brood under her wings, they refused to be gathered to Jesus. They refused to come under his salvation, under his rule. And so they are excluded. Now, I think this is a warning to, today for us who are in the privileged position of being born into Christian families especially. I think the, the cutting edge of this passage is for those who assume that yeah, we are Christians because we're born into a Christian home or we've gone to church most of our lives. We've gone, grown with the privilege of knowing God and, and, and hearing the gospel week in and week out from our earliest memories. Maybe we've been going to church for decades, but this doesn't guarantee our place in God's kingdom. It's a warning today for anyone uh, who, has, who assumes their faith. But clearly also, isn't it? It's a warning for anyone who's been open to seeking, and maybe that's why you've been coming along to church for some time, and you are coming closer to Jesus, associating with Christians and with Christ, but you haven't yet received him. It's a warning to you to, to not to leave it too late because association and contact is not enough. Now, by God's grace, Jesus also makes it clear who are included, right? who are safe and secure in God's kingdom. The included are those who receive Jesus. They respond to his call right, with genuine faith and ongoing repentance. They are those who, when the hen calls, we chickens or we chicks, we run under the saving work and the ruling care of Jesus. Are we, we are we willing to give our lives over to him because we know he is the one who gave us this life. He's the one who saves our life and he's the one who, who helps us live our life in the best way that we can live. Those included don't just listen to Jesus as a passerby on the street, as someone who warms the chairs in a church. But we listen to Jesus as Mary did, like sitting at his feet, really taking on Jesus' words as the words of life, the words to live by. Those who are included are those who are already in the master's house. They're not there outside knocking the gate because they're already in. They're already under the master's care in the master's service. They are those who are actively serving in God's kingdom. This is what it means to strive to enter through the narrow gate. 
And those who enter will have everlasting, sweet fellowship with God and His Son. Now, at the beginning of the, the passage, a man asks, right, will those, who, uh, will those who are saved be few? Have a look at verse 29 as we finish, verse 29 and 30. And people will come from east and west and north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first, and some are first who will be last. Right, that Jesus has said through this passage that the door is narrow, but know this, that people from all over the world, east and west, north and south, everywhere, those who are supposedly last, or the Gentiles, the non-Jews, people from the entire globe, they will be there in the kingdom of heaven. The picture from Revelation is that every people, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, they'll be gathered around in the kingdom of God. Yes, the, der- the door is narrow, but Jesus is drawing and calling people from everywhere to come to him. And the picture of Revelation is that there will be many multitudes who will be there, worshipping God and enjoying fellowship with him forever. So the question is, how will you respond? And how will you keep responding in 2021 and in the years to come? No doubt there are many big questions that we would love to ask and have answers to in the coming days and weeks and months. But make sure that you keep on asking the questions about salvation and that you keep finding the answers, your own answers, that you might come to trust in Jesus, that you would strive to be among the saved and that you will keep striving to be among the saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we begin this new year, we we give you thanks for your word. It is certainly not a word that is um, full of... um, um, you know, light moments or, or smiles, um, yet it is a word that answers the most important questions of life, which is to do with salvation, which is to do with eternity, which is to do with a place in your eternal kingdom. I pray that you'll help us as a congregation, as a church, all listening in, to make sure that we hear Jesus' word with utmost clarity that you, by the power and work of your Spirit within our hearts, would help soften it to receive what you have to say to us, that we would really know what it means and that we would indeed really do strive to enter through the narrow, through the narrow door. That we would see that this means trusting in Jesus. It means uh, pledging our loyal allegiance and a wholehearted devotion and commitment to Him. May it never be, Father, that we associate with Jesus and have contact with him, but find ourselves left out, outside the door, outside the kingdom. Please allow us not to experience that tragic consequence. And please help us as we realize the the immensity and truth of the matter, that we will not keep salvation to ourselves, that even as we strive ourselves to enter through the narrow door, that we would also help others to, to do the same those who do not know Jesus, those who do not yet believe in him, those who are not yet secured in a place in heaven. We pray that you'll help us do our utmost with love and care and gentleness to draw others into your kingdom as well. For all this we pray in Jesus' most blessed name. Amen. Uh, Let's get into it. Um, How do you handle the mental stress of striving to enter the kingdom for the rest of your life? Um... It's interesting to think that uh, striving to enter is something that's mentally stressful. I suppose if we were to um, understand what it means to know and respond to Jesus, 
Um, the, the scripture speaks of it as being uh, um, a joyful thing uh, to come to know more and more of who Jesus is and then to respond to him. Uh, so even though striving does require energy and effort, um, the Bible doesn't speak of it as being something to be anxious and stressed about. Uh, it's just something to work at, doing that something that is ultimately joyful uh, and good. Right? It's a blessing. Uh, it talks about how, uh, come to me all you who are weary uh, and heavy burdened, and you will find rest. So it's an interesting kind of um, juxtaposition between finding rest in Jesus, but having to work for it. Right? So I think they offset each other. I think rest doesn't mean be completely lazy and don't do anything for your faith. Uh, rest is about enjoying the blessing of knowing your creator and your savior and your king. But it requires effort because the natural sinful inclination on, in our hearts will push us away from wanting to receive that rest. And so then the Bible speaks about putting in every effort, striving, uh, not giving up, you know, things like that, um, putting in energy. Uh, so I think maybe mental stress might be putting it a bit too strongly or negatively. So it does require effort, that's for sure. But remember that uh, trusting in Jesus and living for him is meant to be, or it is a joyful, restful uh, activity. Um, and if it's constantly just a mental stress and a burden, then you haven't really understood who Jesus is, or perhaps you're moving towards uh, a legalistic view of trying to live out your faith. Does that make sense? Uh, usually people who are working for their salvation, who are stressed about it, but people who are working hard to receive Jesus properly and respond to him, uh, it's a different kind of uh, emotional and mental state. Hopefully that makes sense. Okay, second question. Where does the assurance of salvation come from if we have to strive? Are we to strive to be assured of our place in God's kingdom? Uh, so I guess the second question, are we to strive to be assured of our place in God's kingdom? Um, no, you don't strive to be assured. I guess you strive to enter, uh, is what the passage is saying. Uh, and you strive to enter by striving to keep responding to Jesus with faith, right? genuine faith and repentance. So how does assurance or salvation kind of come into that? I think the way the Bible speaks about assurance uh, is based on the objective reality of God's love displayed through Jesus on the cross. That's number one, right? The assurance is based on something that is already done. Right, Jesus has already come, already lived, already died. Salvation is already secured. Right? It's an assurance that there's nothing more that needs to be done uh, for sin to be paid for and for you to be saved. That's assurance uh, building block number one. Second assurance is that it is God right, who is sovereignly at work in salvation. He's the one who elects and he calls and he gives faith and he gives the spirit to be able to respond. Assurance is based on God's gracious work uh, in the present. And then assurance is also based on having the evidence uh, that you have you responded genuinely to Jesus, right? So if you do 1 John, the evidence uh, of true fellowship with God uh, is that you uh, believe in Jesus, uh, is that you uh, live in, obe in obedience to, to God, and you love one another, right? That's the three tests of 1 John. But there are, and as you look at how you, you live out your faith, those things are meant to give you assurance that you're on the right path. And when you're not on the right path, it makes you um, be aware of that and work on it. And so the Bible's answer to can I, be, um, can I lose my salvation, uh, the Bible's answer is don't, right? That's why the warnings are there in Scripture. The warnings are God's gracious work to assure you that whenever you respond to the warnings, you're actually on the right track. Right? Responding to God's warnings is evidence of true faith. Uh, living out love and faith and obedience is evidence of true faith, right? So you put all those together and that's your assurance package. What God has already done, what God is doing in your life now, and the evidences of the way you're living out your life. 
Now, why would you want to be assured if you are not responding to Jesus? You know, there's no assurance based on the fact that you're, you're really not trusting Jesus and repenting. Uh, it's meant to be a warning to you to come back and trust in Jesus again. Okay? So, where does assurance go? Hopefully that answers that question. It's, a bit, it's not such a simple answer, but hopefully it's simple enough. Okay? All right. Uh, I'll just grab this piece of paper. The number of questions. Okay, next one. Uh, what does it mean to strive to enter the narrow door? Okay, so I think uh, the answer is very simple. Uh, if we see that the context around this passage is Jesus uh, as the king of God's kingdom, uh, so the door is obviously the entry into the kingdom of God. So what has been the entry point that has been preached about all through these chapters? It is Jesus, right? So uh, John 10 corroborates that, that Jesus says, I am the door or the gate, the same kind of different kind of translation, same word, I'm the door uh, for the sheep to come into my pen. So I think that the, the door is Jesus, and it's narrow because Jesus is the only way. So what is the narrow door? I think it's Jesus. Uh, and striving to enter it means trusting Jesus and responding to him with true faith and repentance. Okay, that's the first question. Second question, uh, why does Jesus in verse something, 27? Oh yeah, call them workers of evil. Number of questions. Oh, verse 20. What does this section, the number of questions here, what does this actually mean? Is it? What does it actually mean? Is it literal or figurative? The workers of evil? Hell. 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 Yep, so uh, the, the picture, so verse 28. Can I just, can I get it? Okay, so is that literal or, or figurative? So uh, it's part of the uh, picture of this person knocking, right? And being left out. So it's, it's, like a, it's, like a, it's more functioning as a parable. So it's, in its first place, it's more figurative, isn't it? Now, in the same sense, I mean, it's figurative, but it corresponds to a reality of what gnashing of teeth and weeping suggests, which is that of deep sadness and deep frustration and regret. So in a sense, it's also literally that you will be sad regretful and frustrated. Now, what exactly does that mean you'll be spending all of eternity crying all the time and gnashing your teeth all the time? I'm not sure, uh, but certainly it describes the nature, the quality of life outside of the kingdom. All right, uh, verse 29, which people and why recline? Which people and why recline? Let me just pull up the passage. Oh, thanks, yeah. Yep, so... Uh, verse 29, people will come from east and west and from north and south. So which people? Uh, people not, the, the language of east, west, north, south means everywhere. Uh, and if you look at the context, first will be last. Jewish people are the first, right? The first in the context is clearly the Jews. The last are those who are the Gentiles who weren't included and had no place in God's kingdom in the Old Testament. These people will end up becoming first. They'll end up coming in where those who are supposed to be in are out. So who are the last? They are the people from east, west, north, south, the Gentiles, people from all over the world. Recline is a picture always in scriptures of rest. right? So they will come and they will be part of the heavenly feast. Uh, the picture of this door into the master's house seems to be an entry into the final feast that's going to happen in the kingdom. So the kingdom is often described uh, as being a, a, a heavenly feast. And so you recline at a table, that's what they do. They, don't, they lie back, they don't sit on our chairs, right? They are a lot more relaxed, they sit on the floor, they lie down, then they eat, you know, they drop grapes in their mouth and they drink wine. So that's the picture of that, picture of being in heaven. Okay, last one. Uh, those who would be f- 